And so it wouldn't shock me at all if the Titans play him 16 snaps in this game and he gets four targets and two receptions for 23 yards. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast, live from Boomba's Pizza Tap House. I'm here with producer JT. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and we are so excited to kick off our Thursday night live series here in Spring Hill at Boomba's Pizza. JT, how are you? I'm great. This is uh, definitely a change of scenery that we've got here, but I'm super excited. We have some people here watching along with us as well. Um, grabbing a nice cold drink, relaxing right before the uh, kickoff of the NFL season, which starts in about an hour. So super exciting. Yeah, about an hour away from the Chiefs and the Lions kicking off. And before then, we're going to talk all things Titans and Saints before they get their seasons underway this weekend in New Orleans. But first, got to tell you about our wonderful sponsor here, Boom Boss Pizza. Three locations in the Middle Tennessee area. They've got the Spring Hill location, which is where we are located, as well as a East Nashville and Murfreesboro location that are all right here in the heart of Middle Tennessee. But if you're from out of town, Kentucky and Indiana, both of those states have locations for Boombas as well. So do not miss out on Boombas wherever you are at. If you're thinking you've never heard of this place, neither had we until they reached out to us. But we were super stoked to uh, to come and find out about all of the fantastic offerings they have at Boomba's. They are not your typical pizza sports bar. Get this, JT. They're the only pizza company in the world to have won best pizza in America twice in the International Pizza Championships. Other awards to their name, International Pizza Expo in Las Vegas. They won winner, best vegetarian pizza, winner of best gourmet pizza, winner of best international pizza, and winner of best non-traditional pizza pizza the place truly has it all great pizza from plain pepperoni to the most unique and delicious gourmet pizzas you've ever tried delicious wings and apps a couple dozen beers on tap that we're going to try later tonight can't wait to put down a couple cold ones while we're watching thursday night football as well as the fact that it is a sports bar so we've got tvs all over the place in this room alone i count six televisions for us to watch the yes. game i'm sure it will be on all of them tonight See, so every, every angle all of, the angles of, uh, <laughs> of Noah Gray becoming the next Travis Kelsey tonight. So I'm super excited about yeah, that. But well, like you said, we only, uh, I'd like to think that our show only um, kind of associates with winners. Like you said, only so, winners, only winners. So right. Um, glad, glad that this boom boss, boom boss has won uh, a bunch of time for their best pizzas. So like we don't, we're uh, only uh, here with winners, well, so. and they've won our pizza palettes because they are, uh, they are fantastic at what they do. And that is making pizza and showing live sports, and that's what we're here to do. So if you are in the Middle Tennessee area, come on down to Boomba's Pizza any Thursday night for Thursday Night Football all season long. If you didn't make it tonight, you've got 17 more opportunities to come and join us this season. We'll be hanging out every single week after our show, which goes right before Thursday Night Football, obviously. We'll be hanging out to watch Thursday Night Football with whoever comes through, whoever shows up. So we would love to hang out with you, grab you a drink, and enjoy the game alongside you. All right, JT. Uh, a couple of things real quick before we dive into the Titans and the warm-up today where you and I are going to go through our 2023 NFL season predictions. We're going to talk about division winners. We're going to talk about playoff predictions and the Super Bowl predictions from you and I. Just to get it out on the record, you know, this is the time here. you got to got to put it out there. 
Um, you're almost certainly going to be wrong on a lot of things, but the, the fun of it is just to see if your lottery ticket cashes and um, to see how well we can predict what these teams are going to do this season. Before that, if you're not subscribed to Broadway Sports Media on YouTube, please go over and do that. Would help us a lot. Would love to build up that following on Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page. And if you're not watching this live stream on the Broadway Sports Media YouTube page, head on over to the YouTube uh, live stream uh, that we have on Broadway Sports Media's page of this show and join the comments over there like our buddy Pretty Boy, Pretty Boy Lipschitz and uh, Juke Summit have already done. Appreciate you guys being with us today. All right, JT, all that fluff out of the way. Let's get into the warm-up. And today's warm-up is our 2023 NFL predictions. Would you like to start us off? I, I want you to run down your seven playoff teams from each conference. And uh, I will do the same, and then we'll talk about the playoffs. How about that? Yeah, for sure. So we can get into this. So I did this this morning, and oh, boy. Like, I feel like we probably say this every single year, right? It's tough. But, like, this is the year now where I feel like there's so much parity in the NFL, and just everybody's going to be so close, and then it's going to end up being totally wrong. But truly, I was like, there's a lot of good teams out there this season. Like, super excited to watch some football, especially tonight, between a Lions team that, like, also has some very high aspirations. Uh, this season. So it was hard for me to kind of pick the teams, but I'll start off with the NFC okay. here. Do you let's hear it. NFC, NFC, and then. Yeah, let, let's do that. I, I mean, everybody can agree. The NFC is the weaker conference. Yes. It's probably a, a tad easier to pick. I know oh, in the, sure. in the AFC, in the NFC, I didn't feel like I left out any two deserving teams that like, oh, it's like, oh, I really want to see them in the playoffs in the AFC. I left out at least three or four yeah, that I, that I, I think, think absolutely are probably going to prove me wrong and somehow get into the playoffs. But no matter how you slice it this year, there are going to be at least three teams that like could definitely finish in DVOA, like top five on offense and defense that are just not going to make the playoffs. And it's going to be uh, very frustrating for those fan bases, but it's the way that it works. The AFC is just so stacked. So yeah, give me your NFC rundown. Yeah. So my NFC rundown right here. Um, so First overall seed, even though on the Hot Read podcast, Take Purge, I had them not making the playoffs. I've come full circle because, of, once again, that was during the Take Purge. It was a Take Purge, a totally so, different situation. Uh, totally you don't you don't situation. believe that unless you're right, in yes. which case you can go back and point to you said it. Exactly. Right. That's We love to double standards so you never lose is the idea. Exactly. So I have the Eagles being the first overall seed in the NFC with a 12-5 and five record. Maybe... Not as uh, exciting as they were last season, but five losses this season. Well, when you're that perfect, you, you mean just naturally you're due for you're due for yes. aggression. That offense, you, almost certainly not going to be as dynamic. Their defense, for sure, I have more questions about this year than last. But I think it's not all that uncommon for folks to think the Eagles are still the best team in the NFC. Yeah, so they're my number one seed here, and then number two, I have the Seattle Seahawks going Love. just ten and. You seven know I'm big on the Seahawks still. this year, so I, I I'm with um, you. Yeah, I have them. I have them in the two spot. I really like them to win the division this year. Uh, in my three spot, I have the Detroit Lions mm. coming out of the restore NFC the roar, world. baby. Yes, that is, that is now apparently the catchphrase. MC, never, you never heard that? No, uh, well, it's not. because the Lions fans have been trying to restore the roar for so long. They they've quit. They've given up on restoring the roar. But that that goes back. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. we we are finally restoring the roar I, I in mean, the Big we'll, D. We might see it tonight, like Travis Kelsey out. Like I would not. I be hope so. I, let's let's uh, do it tonight. Win. I'm in. So, We'll see, but they, I have them as my three. And then, of course, someone has to win the NFC South this season. And someone I have does. the Atlanta Falcons winning, just scraping by the Saints with a record of 9-8. and eight. I'm a little bit higher on Desmond Ritter than I think a lot of other people might be. Um, he definitely is, a, is the Falcons quarterback that they believe in right now. 
and with Bijan right Robinson, now the, the <laughs> operative Robinson, word Drake London Kyle Pitts I think they have some dynamic weapons so I'm going to go with them as my four and then we get to the um the wild card teams where like like um I, I'm kind of tiptoeing the line of my take purge but I'm still going to put two more uh, NFC East teams in on the wild card. Okay. I have well, the, three of four. I'd say that qualifies. Four, four have, of four's never been done. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I have the Cowboys and Giants both making it at okay. 10 and seven. I think those teams are also pretty, pretty even as we get some thumbs up from the crowd here. Like, yeah, I think that, I think that's a good take. Thank you for the positive affirmation there in my takes. Uh, <laughs> and then finally, I, I, I think there is some merit to what you said um, in your take that, I don't think the 49ers are the end-all be-all this season. And I Me have neither. them just barely getting into the playoffs. Okay. Nine and eight. I'm not sold on Brock Purdy this season. But yeah, so that, that's my seven right there. Okay, so my NFC looks similar in the division winners, but then we change things up with the, the wild card. So I've got the Eagles winning the division, 13 and four, best record in football. And then the Seahawks behind them at 12 and five. I think the Seahawks are going to have a really... Really strong year. If you look at their roster last year, that was a surprise playoff team. It's the exact same roster. Like they didn't lose any valuable pieces. They only added to a defense that was pretty shaky that I think they shored up pretty nicely in the offseason. So I think they'll have a very good year. Lions in the three seed at 10 and seven, again, restoring the roar, winning the NFC North and the Falcons winning that South division at 10 and seven as well. My wild cards. I think the Cowboys are the rare two wins above fourth place wildcard team where you're like, why are they a wild? Oh, it's right. Cause in their division was just so stacked that they got the wildcard spot and two teams with worse records than them managed to get in um, and get a home game in the playoffs. They do not because they're in a division with the Eagles. So I've got them at 12 and five, just losing that division. And then my other two wild cards, my six and seven seed, I've got the saints. As I talked about on the take purge, I really do believe this. I think that with both the AFC South and NFC South, something that we, realize mid-season a lot of years, but then forget when it comes time for a new season, is that a weaker division is often the strength of that division when it comes to playoff time. When you have to play worse opponents all year, you're going to win more games than the teams that have to play the harder teams. Like, it's pretty simple math. And because of that, I think that there's going to be two playoff teams from the NFC South. I think the Saints get in at nine and eight. Again, the weaker of the two division, uh, the two conferences rather. So I think nine wins puts you in contention to get into the playoffs in the NFC. Nine and eight, the Saints get in. And then the Giants at nine and eight also sneak in. I've got the 49ers missing out on the playoffs at nine and eight, losing tiebreakers along with the Packers. I have just on the outside looking in and the Vikings at eight and nine regress. No more uh, magic for them and, and their, their, their EPA just every single game somehow every close game going their way it's going to regress this year so i've got those teams on the yeah, outside as, so as, uh, as juke summit says in the comments no viking is an l i don't know if it's exactly an l i it wouldn't shock i don't think shock either of us if vikings got into the playoffs no it wouldn't shock me but it also wouldn't shock me either if they totally regress i mean they lost a lot of pieces on that defense um kirk cousins is going to have to have another good year as he also says viking super bowl here we come we can tell who that guy roots for <laughs> Uh, there but yeah I, I mean that kind of division is really up in the air I just think the Lions are just put together like a more solid team top to bottom than the Vikings are right now and in that division your divisional wins matter so much more than than just playing the rest of the conference um it, and it's just like it's so close every single year with them sure so, like I think it truly is a top uh toss-up for me um let's look at the AFC yeah let's look at the AFC okay now. so what do you got 
So for the AFC here, another tough one, but I have the, the Bills. tough one. I have uh, the Bills as the number one seed this season. I'm not really buying into this 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 Bills uh, kind of not being good narrative. They're post type sleepers. Yes, they, they're post type they really sleepers. Um, last year was the was the year for them. Uh, as as this as we'll in terms of game. pressure, yes. right? And that oftentimes causes a team to underperform in the eyes of the media because you crumple under that pressure. You see that a lot more on, I think the Bengals are more that team this year that people have significant expectations for the bills have kind of gone by the wayside. And I'd imagine that's kind of the way that they'd prefer it up there in Buffalo. I'm sure they're not too displeased with the lack of attention they've gotten so far this year. And mostly probably because the rest of their division is is much of the same this year. Getting sure. so much hype that it's now no longer the Bills and just a other a bunch of middling teams. It is now <laughs> three really good teams with a viable chance to make a Super Bowl run. And, and, the, Patriots. and the Patriots. And the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> as I as I said on here, I do have the Patriots going five and twelve. I did full uh, divisions there. I, I don't really like what's going on. No, I think that they're a contender for a top five pick. I, I would agree. So it, at my two, I have the Chargers winning the AFC West this season. Okay. I, I think. Whoa, wait, wait. Oh, I that just just I totally it just was assuming you. So you have them beating out the Chiefs. I do. Okay. I do because obviously this Chris Jones situation is. Just, We'd all love for you to be right, and I, we all think that you're wrong. <laughs> is what you understand that's the case. Um, I, I I don't love the Chris Jones situation with outside of Chris Jones, like their secondary is really nice. I I, I like their secondary. I, I think their front seven could be a little better without Chris Jones. Um, or is it's not. About, as about, it's about to say what? Uh, <laughs> there you there you go. It definitely is not as good. Chris Jones, and then like like we're gonna maybe see tonight. This team is kind of relying too much on Travis Kelsey to kind of carry the load, I think. And they will the see. The Chiefs have kind of built their kind of team around just give it to Travis Kelsey and we'll not worry about it. Well, what happens when you do not have Travis Kelsey? Well, you that, still have the most talented quarterback in the history of the sport I, wearing I, I, a red jersey. So that like that accounts for uh, for part of it, I think. So I, I I like what the Chargers are doing. I think fully healthy. You know what I Chargers don't like? They still employ Brandon Staley. So as long as that, they that employ is, Brandon is, Staley, I'm out. Personally, I'm out. So maybe that is a hot take. But but I'm going with them at two. If, at the three, I have the Bengals coming out of that bloodbath of a division, taking the uh, third seed in the AFC. And then the fourth, uh, may not like this, but I have the Jaguars still just beating out the Titans uh, in the AFC South, I see by one game here, by ten and seven, game, 10 nine and, seven, and eight, nine and eight, and in this division, uh, like very doable. Like this could totally be swapped, but like sure. that's just kind of the feeling I have right now. Going on to my wild card teams here, I have the Chiefs still making it at ten and seven at the fifth seed. I have the Jets as the sixth seed at ten and seven, and then I have the Steelers. Love. As the last seed, the Titans. I'm in. I do not currently have the Titans making the playoffs, mostly because I think there are a villain, lot of, total villain of the show total now, villain total here. villain. Um, but I just there's so many teams that are going to be nine and eight, ten and seven. It's going to be based on head-to-head matchups for these tiebreakers, sure. and I think it's just the way it falls. Is for right now, like if they do not win the division, I don't see a path to the playoffs for them because it is so stacked. But we'll see. Yeah. All right. I'll give my AFC and we'll, we'll speed it up here because we are spending half the show on the warm up. Um, so I've got the Bills winning the conference as well. Echo a lot of the things that you said. Uh, I think that this is their year to be a post type sleeper. I think at the end of last year, a lot of things happened to them. People forget like they had to go play in Detroit twice and trudge through a snowstorm that like decimated their city. And then they had a, a teammate who they thought literally died in front of them on the field. And they had a canceled game. And then all of this like 
there was a lot that happened to them emotionally, mentally at the end of last season that I think is unlikely to happen again. And it's, it's something that probably took much more of a toll on that team in that playoff loss to the Bengals. They looked like they were kind of throwing the, like, you know, it's kind of zombies out there. They looked like they were ready to be done with the season. Um, so I've got them at 12 and five winning division, edging out the chiefs, the two seed at 12 and five. I think that that is going to continue to be the case. They'll be at the top of the AFC until further notice would love to be wrong. The Bengals, the three seed winning that division at 11 and six. And then I've got the Titans winning the AFC South at 10 and seven, your four seed. So I've got the Dolphins as your five seed at 11 and five. I've got a lot of belief in the Dolphins if, and this if is, it's the Spider-Man meme holding back the bus. Like we, very big if, if to a Tungvaloa can stay healthy. If he can avoid, I think one concussion this year may knock him out of the season, may knock him out of football entirely. So a big if there, but if he stays healthy, I love what they're doing. They, I mean, Mike McDaniel down there has decided that America, America is based on hot, nasty, bad speed. Like we just, we love the speed. It's all about the speed. And, and that is what they're going to do on offense and on defense. I love their team speed all around. I think they're easily the fastest team in the league. Um, then I've got the Jaguars at the sixth seed. Again, I think both um, of the top teams in both AFC and NFC South divisions make the playoffs because of the weakness of their schedule. So I've got the Jaguars at 10 and seven tying with the Titans in record, the Titans winning the tiebreaker there. And then the Steelers at 10 and seven, getting that seven seed, which leaves out the Jets and the Chargers both at 10 and seven and the Ravens at nine and eight, all three of which I would not be surprised even a little bit to see replaced in here somewhere. I think all 10 of these teams are bona fide playoff contenders this season. So it wouldn't shock me at all. Let's look briefly at the playoffs, JT. Let's just run down what you have the playoffs looking like. Yeah, um, so I, I can just, I can, yeah, just, just run it. Let's run it down real quick. We can talk about the, the Super Bowl primarily. Yeah, we, I, we don't have to go matchup by matchup, but I, coming out of the NFC, the NFC championship game, I do have the Eagles facing the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Um, and the Eagles making it to back to back Super Bowls here, yep. trying to uh, claim that, that title that they did not get last year. Mm -hmm. And then out of the AFC, I have the Bengals playing the, uh, I believe the Bengals and the Bills yep. doing another uh, rematch in which I have the Bengals once again winning, which puts me at a Bengals Eagles Super Bowl. And who wins? The Bengals. No, of course the Bengals fan uh -oh, thinks the Bengals uh -oh. are winning the Super Bowl. You know, okay. You know, to be fair, though, you know who I don't have winning the Super Bowl? Who do you not the have? Titans. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I kind of feel validated though because I went online and like. Theo Ash has the same prediction as me, and I'm like, okay, uh -huh. TikTok ball, superstar, ball right? Knowers. I am yeah, not not to disparage Theo. That was convenient. I do love Theo. Um, yeah. So uh, my AFC, I have it coming down to the Bengals and the Bills as well. I've got the Bills winning that game though and getting to the Super Bowl for the first time since they lost four in a row, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, on the NFC side of the bracket, I've got it. The uh, I've got it looking like the Seahawks and the Eagles. Wow, we had the identical ones. Yep. That is. That is unfortunate. We didn't probably play. not good news for those. No, <laughs> it's probably going to be four completely different teams. Um, but yeah, I have the Seahawks and the Eagles and I have the Eagles winning that. So I have Eagles bills. You had Bengals Eagles. Um, I have the bills winning that Super Bowl, though. I think they finally get one first time in their franchise history. They go one and five in Super Bowls. If I'm not mistaken, they finally get their Lombardi trophy as post hype sleepers. So yeah, that is our uh, season predictions that we spent 20 minutes on that uh, probably nobody cared about, but they're out there. So uh, enjoy those. Let's talk about the Titans now. Let's let's yeah, look, we look, buried look. the lead appropriately. The Titans are playing a uh, game. That's what people are here to to listen to us talk about. So we've got a number of things to discuss with this Titans and Saints preview before we then get to some news with producer JT. 
And then the return of the best bet gauntlet, which we'll need to leave plenty of time for week one. Not an exciting, I mean, an exciting time to bet, not a fun time to bet no, because the lines are so incredibly sharp, but we got to do it. Just try to survive and get to week two. And then it is coasting from there. And we're going to make a lot of money. Let's talk Titan Saints, though. Some stats and info, JT, that I want to run by the people. I've just got kind of a uh, a, a pot pie of information here that I just want to want to discuss. Stop me at any time if you if you find something interesting that you would like to uh, to uh, discuss further. But some some information about this game, and it's this is the weirdest preview of the season because again we've kind of been previewing this for a month now. Yes. We'll we'll have more to talk about once we've seen both of these teams. You know, we've got a week under our belt. Um, but for now, some information. Sunday will be 296 days, JT, since the evening of November 17th, 2022, which is when the Titans last won a game. That was the evening of the booze cruise for uh, former Titans offensive coordinator Todd Downing, who uh, after the Titans won in very exciting. I mean, I, I remember that game vividly. They, they played the Packers on Thursday night football. And they win handily and they come back and then their entire season falls apart from that moment. We, we kind of pinpointed that at the end of last year as the last good thing all year that happened to the Titans. And so they're looking to get back on the horse to almost 300 days is a long time to go without winning a football game. Um, some some history for the Titans is being made this year. They have 24 new players on their 2023 roster, which is the most roster turnover the team has ever had since becoming the Titans. They've got 11 veteran free agents they added to the roster, six draft pick rookies that all made the 53-man roster, five undrafted free agent rookies that had made the cut, one player via traded trade, your kicker Nick Folk, and one player via waivers um, who they added from the Bears. Vild, uh, Kendall Vildor is one of your new DBs. So it's a really brand new team. I mean, 24 new players on a 53-man roster, the, the biggest roster turnover in 23 years, 24 years that the Titans have been in Nashville. And so when people talk about how they are expecting the team to do this or expecting the team to do that, and they and they phrase it in terms of, well, based on, you know, like they, they reference the history of this team. And it's like, you know, this team, they all they do is run the ball. This team, they don't have any, they don't have any tempo to their game. This team, this or that. I get it, and I understand that point of view, but truly, this year, above all other years, we we do not know what this team's going to look like, and so that's what makes Sunday really, really exciting. Some Derek Carr and Ryan Tannehill information. Derek Carr is 1-2 against Mike Vrabel's Titans, or excuse me, 0-2 against Mike Vrabel's Titans. Misread that. Um, so has not had a lot of success against them. Ryan Tannehill and Derek Carr are the 5th and 6th most tenured active NFL quarterbacks in the league with 143 and 142 career starts apiece behind only Andy Dalton, Russell Wilson, Matt Stafford, and of course, Aaron Rodgers. So it's battle of the old men in NFL terms in this game. Derek Carr's, this is probably the most interesting stat that I pulled here. Derek Carr's four worst seasons as a pro so far in his career have been the four seasons during which he was under a new offensive coordinator, installing a brand new offense, operating a new offense for the first time. And that's according to every efficiency metric that you can think of. CPOE, EPA, they all dictate that his four worst years pretty clearly, like it's not really all that close, are when he's having to adjust to a new circumstance. And obviously a new team brings new teammates, 
plus a new offense, plus a new offensive coordinator, plus a new head coach. So there's a lot that's changed. And I think the Titans drawing the Saints when they did, certainly advantageous. You know, you see new quarterbacks with new teams in the recent past. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers go on to win the Super Bowl, but they start their season, I believe, seven and seven by their week 14 bye, and then win out the rest of the year. Like they started really, really rough. Um, you look at, I would say Russ and the Broncos, but it never got better. Um, you look at the, the Colts and their literal revolving door of quarterbacks the past, what, six, seven years now in a row. They've had a new, I think seven years now, this will be the seventh year. They've had a new starting quarterback on the first day of the season. A lot of those guys have gotten better as they've gone, you know, like the Phillip Rivers, uh, uh, I was going to say presidency. That's not the word I'm looking for. The Philip Rivers uh, administration. That's the word I was looking for. The Philip Rivers administration was one that started to look good by the end. It was a little bit, little too late, but you know, they got into the playoffs. They, they won a, a game. Um, they got them into, into the postseason, And so that was one that, that didn't look great to begin. So all of that is to say, I think that drawing this team with this quarterback in particular, who has a history of not performing well under new circumstances is certainly a, a benefit for the Titans and, you know, having to play the saints anyways, because they drew their division, getting them week one. It's a, it's a good situation for them. Um, some more numbers here on the skill position side of things, Michael Thomas slant boy and uh, Deandre Hopkins. They are one and two in the league first and second for most receptions per game, average per game in week one in NFL history. So they average 7.5 and 7.3 receptions per game in week ones, which is kind of a strange category. But um, DeAndre Hopkins, this is interesting, maybe for betters. He's had nine touchdowns in nine week one performances. He's played in week one nine times in his career. This is his ninth season, or he's, this is his 10th season, rather. Um, and he's had a touchdown in nine of them. So maybe an anytime touchdown on, on DeAndre Hopkins wouldn't be a horrible say, idea tonight. Maybe throw that leg into yeah. the parlay. And we're probably going to sit down to look at, I mean, week one, game one, you got to, after the, after the show, we're going to sit down at the bar, grab a drink and maybe play some bets on this game before we oh, watch. Yeah. So oh, that's no, something no. let's lock that in for later. Um, that is by the way, nine touchdowns and nine week one performances tied for sixth most in NFL history in that category. So Deandre Hopkins, a history of being fantastic out of the gate, kind of the anti Derrick Henry in that way, yeah. no time to warm up. Maybe, maybe starts off a little too hot. But um, for the beginning of the season, certainly a good thing for him and for the Titans. Derrick Henry, speaking of him, he is two touchdowns away from becoming the seventh player in uh, NFL history to amass 8,000 yards and 80 touchdowns in their career, which is a fantastic feat. And just another one of those stats that you hear, and there's countless stats like this for Derrick Henry, and you think, yeah, this, this guy's probably already a Hall of Famer. Like, it's, it, it, it feels like if you're the sixth or fifth or fourth or seventh guy in history to do this, that, or the other of, of important statistical categories. Maybe you're one of the best and oh, you deserve to be enshrined in Canton. Um, a couple more, actually just one more step for you before we talk about the game and some matchups to look at. There are 11 rookies on this active roster, which we've talked about before, but I wanted to kind of pose the question, how many of them get playing time in this game? Because the Titans record for rookies to play in their first NFL game is nine in one season. My question is, will all 11 even be active in this game? Almost certainly not with some of these uh, UDFAs they've got on the team. You know, Caleb Murphy, if it weren't for an abdominal injury to um, Harold Landry this week, I would imagine he was going to be inactive now. Maybe he gets activated because of that. You've got some other guys 
you know, Colton Dowell is kind of, I'd say probably because he's their fifth receiver right now, as long as you don't have um, Kyle Phillips in the fold and healthy, but he's another guy that may be a candidate to be active one week and not active the next. We'll have to see, but I'd be kind of surprised if that record is broken this week. All right, let's talk matchups, JT. And this is where I'd like to have a discussion with you and, and hear your opinions on these things. I've split it up between three categories, matchups of strength, matchups of weakness for the Titans, that is, and then some matchups that are really the pivotal, most important matchups that are probably going to decide the game or may very well decide the game. So let's start with the matchups of strength for the Titans in this game. The first one is Chris Olave and Christian Fulton. Now, this is maybe a controversial one. Some might say you would prefer Olave over Fulton. At the very least, I'd say it's a pivotal matchup. Maybe it belongs in the pivotal matchup more, but I'm going to argue that it is a matchup of strength for the Titans. While I think Olave may very well be the most talented at this point in their career, skill position player on the field wearing either jersey on Sunday. I do think based on the camp that we've seen, and this is me going the complete opposite of what I said in the take purge, based on what we've seen in camp, it wouldn't shock me at all, at least now while he's still healthy. You know, he's game one. We know he's healthy. Christian Fulton, the way he's played Traylon Burks, the way he's played DeAndre Hopkins in camp, it wouldn't shock me at all if he forces Chris Olave into a pretty quiet week. Now, an important contingency here. The Titans don't travel their their cornerback. So like he'll not be facing Olave exclusively all game. And so Olave versus Roger McCreary, that matchup, very concerning. Olave has got some length that McCreary does not have. Um, he's certainly, I think, just a better athlete in general than McCreary is. That's a matchup that if I'm the Saints, I'm wanting to exploit as much as possible. And so then you'll almost certainly see uh, a matchup between Christian Fulton and Michael Thomas, which again, as long as Michael and Michael Thomas may be the biggest question mark in this game. He's been absent for 10,000 days now. I, I, it was the last time he played significant football. I mean, he played some last season for like 10 seconds and then got hurt again. But the last time he played a full season, I think Drew Brees was still around. I'm yes. pretty sure like 2021. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sure. Definitely going to be more of a target. I think if you see Michael Thomas make an impact in this game, it's going to be in the red zone because he's always been a huge yes. red zone. Forever. Big body target. Makes uh, sense. You can throw it up. Great hands. Produce tomorrow. Um, so yeah, let, let's talk about him more in a second. Um, another matchup of strength, Simmons and Tart, the Titans, big uglies up front on defense going up against this weak new Orleans interior, their interior offensive line is not the strongest. It's certainly, it's, it's hard in comparison, talking about another offensive lines interior being weak because the Titans offensive line is also weak, but like, I think it's weakness on weakness here, maybe, um, offensive line to offensive line, but Titans D line versus saints O line, certainly strength on weakness maybe the largest strength on weakness in the entire game, which to be fair is going to be the case in at least 15 of the 17 games. The Titans played this year. I think we're going to be a broken record on Thursday. It's talking about how the Titans defensive line has an advantage over the offensive line that they're facing. Um, that being said, I do think that this interior can be exploited by those two and, and to a lesser extent, you know, they're not going to be on the edge as often, but when they go up against the, the tackles for this saints team, Trevor Penning is a second year player who had a pretty up-and-down rookie season. He was serviceable on, on the whole, but there were moments for him that were really ugly, and off the field, he's quickly gained a reputation for being a bit of a hothead, so wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, I know the elite trash talkers on the defensive side of the ball are Tier Tart and Jeffrey Simmons. They're going to be trying to get in his head all day long. Wouldn't shock me at all if you, know, if you could bet 
on Trevor Penning personal foul at some point in this game. I would. I would lay the money on that bet. Um, so I think that that's going to be a, a big deal. And then the last matchup of strength here, I think Mike Vrabel going up against Dennis Allen, the head coaches, is something that people, it's easy to forget. Um, but I, Dennis Allen, as a head coach, has a losing record by a significant amount. Um, this is his second stint, I believe, as a head coach now with New Orleans, not with New Orleans, but his his time now is the second time as a head coach in the league. And I, I just, I, are you, where would you rank him amongst the head coaches in the league? I just, I don't have any, I, I like him as a defensive coordinator. I think he's a good defensive mind who puts together good defenses. And that's what he's done a lot of his career. But as a head coach, I think that the gap is kind of the Grand Canyon between him and Mike Vrabel. I would agree. I would say Mike Vrabel is probably in that upper echelon, maybe top five conversation right now. Um, but Dennis Allen is probably somewhere between 20 and 32. Yeah. B- bottom like, 10. Not, not doesn't, doesn't do anything flashy. Like it is your run of like, it feels like Dennis Allen for head coaches nowadays is like stuck in the old ways. You know, it's like, I feel like Dennis, Allen <laughs> too much is, of an old head. Dennis Allen is like the embodiment of the meme where it says the future is now old man. And I feel like that's exactly <laughs> what Dennis Allen is. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would give the nod to, to Vrabel every single day. The matchup of weakness that I came up with, and like I, I, to be fair, I didn't. I only came up with one. If you can think of another on the fly, let me know. But the one that I think is the most obvious and certainly the biggest weakness for the Titans is that Cam Jordan-Chris Hubbard matchup. We don't know for sure that Cam Jordan's going to be primarily going on on the, the that right side of the offensive line going up against Titans' current right tackle, Chris Hubbard. But I'm I'm here to tell you he is like that's gonna be, he's gonna be exploiting that all day long. The Saints know that that is the weakness of the Titans' offensive line. They know that is the the least um, the least continuous portion of the offensive line. Very much a, a I mean this is all new for the offensive line for the Titans, but the newest piece to a new room and the oldest piece to a new room and the worst piece to an old room. A trifecta you never want to complete. Cam Jordan also old, but he is a timeless. I mean, don't fool yourself into thinking this guy does not still have the juice. Still has the juice. Don't know how he does it, but he does have the juice. And, and that's going to be something where if if he comes away with a similar to the, the Titans face off against the Arizona Cardinals in week one, two years ago, when Taylor Lewan allowed six sacks. Um, wouldn't shock me if you had another like four or five sack performance, all responsible, um, all, all responsibility accredited to Chris Hubbard on that left side or on that right side, rather. Yeah. They're going to have to scheme around it. Like there's, there's no patching the hole. It's scheme around it. I mean, that's why I think we'll honestly, like when it is third and long, we might see some 12 uh, personnel, like two tight ends on, on the outside of each. Just you may see it all downs. Like Uh, Trayvon Westkill may just be tied to his hip all, all game long. And it wouldn't really shock me if Trayvon, if we come to the end of the game, we get the reports for playing percentages and Trayvon Wesco, the Titans big bodied, uh, tight end glorified offensive lineman played like 98% of snaps exclusively on the right side as an inline blocker I, I think, I think and ran might, like four routes. It might just be like very frustrating tomorrow uh, or not tomorrow on Sunday. But when, when you see kind of these personnel packages that they have to do because of how lopsided of a matchup it is between Chris Hubbard and Cameron Jordan. Well, and get used to it. Cause that's not, yeah. I mean, that's going to be the, that's going to be the story all year. If, and until you find a, you know, if NPF comes back and is a more serviceable replacement, or if, you know, you have somebody usurp Chris Hubbard's power at right tackle, but for now it's the best you got. Now let's talk about the pivotal matchups. And I've got three written down here that I want to talk about maybe most in, in depth. Deandre Hopkins and Traylon Burks going up against Marshawn Lattimore is, is a big one. And there's been a lot of talk about, in particular, 
Marshawn Lattimore and DeAndre Hopkins. They have a bit of a history. They've played each other a number of times. There have been a lot of pictures, I think, from a lot of Saints fans and accounts online this week about this you know kind of scuffle, kind of fight that DeAndre and Marshawn got into in the past and a lot of talk about how Marshawn, like, he loves playing DeAndre. He owns DeAndre. I went and looked today. DeAndre Hopkins has never not had 100 yards going up against Marshawn Lattimore, so I don't know what that is about. Uh, he he times, owns Marshawn the, Lattimore. The last two times, he, I think he's had in the realm of eight receptions for 103 and 110 yards. And, like, I, like the dude is going to be just fine, I think. I'd imagine, unless he's truly lost a step. But, again, I don't, and I, I, I don't know for sure. We don't know for sure this year if the Saints are going to have their – their cornerbacks uh, travel. I'd, I'd imagine he's going to be facing off against Hopkins some and assuming he's playing, which we are, Traylon Burks some. Now, I think people are maybe over their skis a little bit about, oh yeah, Traylon Burks. He came back. He's healthy. He came back early. He's going to play. I'd pump the brakes. Playing and how much you play are two very different things. Yes. And so it wouldn't shock me at all if the Titans play him 16 snaps in this game and he gets four targets and two receptions for 23 yards like that. That would not shock me at all. Not because he's not any good. And that some folks may take it and run like, Oh, look at the Titans wide receiver one trailing Burks. He had a horse. He, he, they're going to slow play him back. They want him for the duration of the season. And with Deandre Hopkins to kind of fill that void, I don't expect them to, because again, we, we saw trailing at practice the last two weeks. JT, I never once when I was out there saw him running anywhere really close to full speed. He's just kind of taking it easy. He's easing himself back in. Now, obviously, that's that's more with an LCL injury, I'd imagine, to avoid re-aggravating it than it is active pain management. I did ask him if it's a pain management thing at this point or if he's re-aggravating it, and he just gave me a, I'm sorry, I can't answer you response. Um, ask my coach, which is directly from the, the Mike Vrabel uh, School of Injury Reporting. Yes. But I'd imagine at this point, based on why, you know, I'm not seeing him grimace. I'm not seeing him limp around. I don't think it's a pain thing at this point. I think just existing on his knee, walking around, standing around, a light jog, a light cut is not hurting himself. He's just wary of, as you are with most soft tissue injuries or, or ligament injuries like that, tweaking it, you know, aggravating it, setting yourself back. Going full speed for the first time in the game, and I'm not saying it will be his first time. We don't get to see all the practice. You know, maybe he's out there every day after warmups. You know, maybe he just takes warmups slower. Maybe that's the case. We, we don't know. They don't let us see the full practice. But if he is really going full speed all out for the first time on Sunday, that's kind of concerning. And so I, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold your breath, Titans fans, to see a huge trail on game week one. There'll be plenty more football to play for him. Um, the other side of the ball, receivers for this other side of the ball, and I, I said we'd come back to him. Michael Thomas versus the Titans secondary is one that I could see being a problem if we get that week one Michael Thomas that historically he has been. Obviously, you're, you're gonna you're gonna have Olave, you know, keeping occupied the Titans' best cornerbacks and demanding the most attention out there. But if Slant God is still Slant God, Slant Boy, I, su I suppose, if if he is still this guy that can tear you up piece by piece, kind of slice and dice you the way that he and Drew Brees became famous for doing, that's something. That you know, if, if they choose, especially to exploit him as a, a big slot, use him against the Titans' safeties in nickel and dime looks, use him against, God forbid, the Titans' linebackers that have some things going for them, but team speed is not one of them. I'd be concerned that Michael Thomas may, as the second best receiver on that team right now, in my opinion, in the opinion of most, he, he may just 
end up with 120 yards in the game, twice as many receptions, twice as, as much production as Chris Olave. And it's because kind of like that Evan Ingram effect last year when the, the Titans played the Jaguars, you can just exploit the middle of the field against the Titans in the past. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling here because I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to give the Titans secondary upgrades this season enough credit because again we don't we don't know quite what it's going to look like yeah and i would say that to, to that point like it's not like they won't be coming unprepared because Sean sure murphy bunting has played against this team plenty like of practice did, like he did last season right uh kind of knows understands what he's going to be going up against so like i wouldn't say that they're woefully unprepared for for what michael thomas can do but then like like you said and they also have been talking about giving juan johnson the ball a lot this off season. So like, he's also going to be a factor that I think Kevin Byard is going to be play, playing against him a lot in, in this game on Sunday. So like they do have a lot of weapons. So like, I wouldn't be surprised. Like you said, if Chris Olave has a down game in, in lieu of like a Michael Thomas or a, uh, Rashid Shahid. Rashid, yeah, yeah. Rashid Shahid. Um, one of those guys just going off and we have another like, what are the Titans doing? Matt Collins moment. <laughs> right, right, right. A rando absolutely torches a guy. And, and we have a new public enemy number one in the Titans secondary, which yes. is just, it's a matter of, it's not a matter of if, but when yes. at this point, let's move on to what matters and what doesn't JT. And I wanted to talk about this at some length because it's always worth reminding folks week one is a different beast than the rest of the season. And what you can I think fairly and unfairly take away from any week one performance, but from the Titans in particular, we'll talk about um, is something that, that bears repeating. The bottom line is the week one is a liar in the NFL that I could, I could sit here for the next hour rattling off the top of my head, examples of crazy outcomes from week one that by the end of the season, you look back on it and you're like, Oh yeah, they, that team did beat that team. What was going on? How, how'd that happen? I mean, the number, the future number one seed in the AFC Tennessee Titans, for example, just one example, absolutely housed by the Arizona Cardinals that year. The Cardinals were a good team. They ended up falling off by the end of the year and being a wild card and being a one and done in the playoffs. But like, do you think anybody after that Titans game was like, yeah, this team is number one AFC seed potential? Absolutely not. Another example that I think of is a couple years ago when I think the Bills were either the one or the two seed in the AFC. Remember, they get absolutely trounced by the Steelers at home in a year where they were supposed to be picking it up. Finally, Josh Allen's supremacy shut down. That kind of thing happens. How about the, the Colts who were an eight point favorite over the Texans last year? They go to overtime and tie both teams yes. are oh oh and one to the hilarity of AFC South fans like weird stuff is going to happen. So when you're doing your Just like betting Bengals last year where Joe Burrow starts off yes. low, throws five interceptions and then they end up going to the AFC championship. Again. Exactly. So when you're doing your betting this week, when you're doing your pickums this week, when you're doing your survivor pool this week, when you're sitting down, turn on red zone and just expecting what you think is going to happen to happen, have in the back of your mind the, the recognition that at least four or five of these games are going to probably surprise you at the end of the day. And you shouldn't, the, the key point here is you can't, you've got to resist taking away much information from week one on a macro large scale for the season. Because week one is a liar. It's the ultimate overreaction Monday, the day after week one in the NFL, because so much crazy stuff that we weren't expecting happen to happen happens. And teams that we thought would be good are bad. And teams that we thought are going to be bad are good. And almost certainly, no, no, no. It turns out, get, get a couple games under the belt. Let everybody get their sea legs. The bad teams are usually bad. And the good teams are usually good. Um, 
there are some exceptions. You know, the Seahawks, the Seahawks last year, some, sometimes you are good in week one and you just are good and people were downplaying you for no reason. But there are some things on a more individual micro scale that I think are worth talking about, worth looking at for what we can take away from this Titans team in week one. The number one thing for me is an offensive line baseline. Now, again, I don't want to judge this offensive line, what it's going to be all year based on week one. I don't think any offensive line should be judged that way. Offensive lines, just in general, typically take a couple weeks to find their zen, to find their their rhythm, their connection with one another, and, and get ahead of steam. The Titans, in particular, have had offensive lines in the past that are that way. And this particular offensive line, in particular, is, again, it's all it's five new guys based on their position. Aaron Brewer being the only holdover, and he's playing a new position. You got a rookie who's probably your best offensive lineman playing a new position to him. You got a player that was drafted a couple of years ago as a first round tackle that is playing tackle again as a starter for the first time in a while. You've got Andrew Brunskill playing a guard position on a new team. And, and you've got Chris Hubbard, who's 32 and is playing a tackle position on a new team that he joined three, four weeks ago. So there's a ton of room for improvement for this team, however good or bad they look. But I do think a baseline for, for where they are and what, what this season is going to look like for them is important. And in particular, what I wanted to mention, JT, is we've been talking about, and I feel like we've been mentioning this not as much as we should. This offensive line, the Titans have very clearly been intentionally building it to be more pass pro focused than their offensive lines in the past. Their MO under Mike Vrabel and John Robinson had been for years. We're going to bring in the best run blockers because that's what we do. We're a ground and pound team. We have Derrick Henry. We have the best running back in the game. We're going to be the best running team that we can possibly be. We'll teach the guys pass protection. Clearly they weren't very good at teaching pass protection. And um, I think most, most people that have worked in football would tell you that it's actually typically easier to improve a guy's, run protection or a run blocking rather on the fly to teach that than it is to, to teach pass protection. I think I, and I'm not an offensive line expert, but I feel like pass protection is more just based on innate skills, God given traits. Um, and, and like, like one of those things you probably have it or you don't with run blocking, you're trying to move a guy against his will backwards. See, that's a matter of technique more. And again, maybe I'm speaking out of the side of my mouth, offensive line experts out there rolling their eyes, until they can see their brains. But that kind of feels like it's the case. Either way, I know for a fact, run blocking is more easily teachable, according to most experts, than pass blocking is. And because of that, the Titans, I think, have kind of changed their mentality to, well, we'll bring in the, we'll bring in the pass protectors. We'll teach them how to run block. We've done run blocking here in Tennessee very well for a long time. We've got a very good running back that can make these guys look good, even if they're not the best run blockers in the world. We'll, we'll figure that part out. Let's get the pass protectors in there. Let's protect our our 30-plus-year-old quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, who last year we proved we desperately need to stay clean and on the field or else our team's not going anywhere. And, and we'll, we'll, move, we'll move forward in that way. That's one of those things that has lent itself to people that have been saying, this team, this new offense, they're going to be passing more. It's not, it's not going to be that same old team that you know. Like They're, they're still going to run the ball. Derrick Henry's still going to be an element to this game for this team. But they're going to be passing maybe much closer to 50-50 than in the past where it's been kind of 65-35, if we're being honest. So that's something that I think is important. What, what does the pass protection look like as a baseline since they're supposed to be better pass protectors? And then what does the run blocking look baseline based on the preseason games? And I, I'm curious what you think. I'm inclined to say we may come away very pleasantly surprised from Sunday's performance on the pass protection front. And run blocking, they may make the Titans running backs look pretty bad. 
I mean, it, that and also the fact that Derrick Henry just historically starts very slow in the yes. first, first and second game of the season. As good as he can make you look in December, he might make yes. you look that bad in September yes. just because of how uh, like, slow he sometimes gets up to and speed. It, and it's just like, I could see that because the Saints, like, to their credit, last year were a top two defense in, in, in a lot of metrics last year. Like, this is a very good uh, group of guys that they have. So, like, I would not be surprised if we saw that. I also would not be shocked if we just see the same old Titans. Like, th this is a very young group, like, gelling-wise. Like, yes. they, they, they are not really put together yet, and that's only going to come with time of actually playing regular season games. I agree. One more thing that I, I want to talk about before we get on to the news and the best bet gauntlet is general tenets of Tim Kelly's new offense. And I'll just fly through a couple of these things. I think there are some general themes to the offense that will be that we will be able to pick up on in week one positionless ball is something we've been hearing all summer long what does that look like do they employ guys like Tajay Spears and Chica Conquo in non-traditional situations in non-traditional alignments in in you know different positions than their their primary role and and how do they do that how often do they do that when they when they do do that is it is it because they're trying to throw off the defense or is it because they're trying to get the ball into the hands of that player Personnel groupings. We know that this team's unofficial depth chart continues to be released in 12 personnel as it has been for years now. That's not shocking, I think, unless you look at how many tight ends they have on the team, but we've addressed that. Not shocking that this team's going to be more heavy personnel, going to be 12 personnel, mixing in some 11, mixing in some 22, mixing in some 21 on occasion, but primarily one running back on the field with two tight ends flanking the offensive line. Is that similar, the percentages, once we get those advanced stats next week, is that going to be similar to what we've seen in the past for the Titans? Or are they more heavy one way or the other? Something that, that we should be paying attention to, and you can probably notice in real time, maybe there is a more, I mean, 11 personnel kind of harder to come by last year, and some of that was because they didn't have a lot of receivers to put out there. Yes. But do we see more 11 personnel? I think that, that if, is this, if this is a team that's going to be passing more, as they've kind of promised or kind of alluded to, we will. And, and so that's something to look for. Tempo, something they've talked about a lot. This, the, these players and coaches all summer have unprompted, willingly offered up this idea that this, man, this new offense has got some pace to it. I'm excited about the tempo we're going to be able to employ in the game. This team, for a couple years in a row now, has been near or at the bottom of the league in pace of play, in average pace of play, in average uh, drive length, in average uh, uh, snap to snap time time length. Like all of these, all of these timing metrics. They have been slow for years. Do they get closer to average? Do they become dramatically faster? Do they employ actual tempo as we know it, going tempo in a game, going no huddle in a game more often than just a two or a four minute drill? Something to pay attention to. Then the last thing, how is the passing game deployed, right? And this is kind of along those lines of personnel groupings, but is it going to be primarily two wide receiver sets, even though they're throwing the ball a lot, which means you get a lot of passing to Ty J Spears and Derrick Henry out of the backfield. You get a lot of passing to Chiga Conquo out of, out of the tight end position, or are they going more 11 personnel, more 21 personnel, more, 10 personnel on occasion? Maybe right now without Kyle Phillips, I, I'd say that's very unlikely that they do much of that at all, but how is that deployed? Is there more or less play action? Because Tim Kelly comes from a, 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 an offensive school of thought that is not traditionally play action heavy, which I think has gone under the radar for a lot of Titans fans this year. This is a team that has a quarterback for a team that has thrived off of play action for as long as Ryan Tannehill has been here. 
and really from before that with Marcus Mariota. Do we see less of that? And if so, does that have an active detriment? Is that an active detriment to the team? I know our buddy Zach Lyons over at Stacking the Inbox and a football show last year was constantly tracking play action efficiency stats on and off, you know, with play action, without play action for the Titans. And they were consistently much better with play action. So I think that that is something that would be maybe concerning if they're not doing much play action. And it's, it's, it's still looking like they're a much better team with the play action installed than without. That's going to be something we're going to have to discuss and bring up and be like, why, you know, like, what's, what are, what are you doing here? Then the last thing, more early down passing, something the Titans fans have been crying, screaming yes. for, yes. wailing and gnashing of teeth. Please do not run the ball on first, second down every single play, every single drive, every single set of downs. I am begging you. I'm not going to say I'm expecting it because expectations at the floor, rock bottom. Yes. But I'd imagine with more creativity, with more passing options, with a better pass protecting offensive line, with the new offense that's supposed to be more pass heavy, all of these things pointing towards maybe there's some better mix in the drives of play um, plays that are passing and running looks. And that appeases Titans fans in that way. So those are all the things that I think you should look for in this game. They're going to matter again, a baseline for the offensive line. How is that passing game deployed in terms of play action, early down passing, personnel groupings, speed and tempo, positionless ball utilization, and that pass protection versus run blocking divide that I think this team may surprise some people with how they are configured. All right, that is enough of Saints-Titans preview. Two more segments before we get out of here, JT. Let's get to the news with producer JT. Yeah, we can start off with today the Titans announcing their captain selections for this season. Um, it was they, yesterday, actually, but we're going to talk about it today. Yeah, but we're talking about it today. Um, the guys on the offensive side of the ball who are named captains, no no really surprises here being T Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, all pretty chalk there. On the defensive side of the ball, however, uh, Jeffrey Simmons getting the nod, Kevin Byard, and then Aziz Alshair also getting the nod. And then finally, for special teams, Morgan Cox getting that nod as well. Your thoughts? Um, not surprising who got elected. Surprising the, the number of captains, like seven yes. guys is a lot of dudes. Um, but yeah, no, nobody here is surprising. I do love that Morgan Cox is the, is the uh, special teams captain. Last year, if you remember, it was Ola Adaini who yes. was gone by like week seven or something. Um, was kind of a flash-in-the-pan guy for the Titans. Morgan Cox is not going anywhere. He is your, your pro bowl, all-pro, long snapper. So you've got a safe captain at the special teams position. And then maybe the most surprising guy on there, one offensive and one defensive, Derek and, and Ryan, obvious, makes a lot of sense. To, to have your new center as one of your, you know, a, a guy that has been on the team for a while in Aaron Brewer, but is it a new position and has not really been much of a leader until this season, in my eyes at least. Kind of surprising that his, his teammates elected him a captain. And then Aziz Alshair, not surprising knowing the guy, but it is surprising based on the timing. Coming in to Nashville and in one offseason, gaining the respect, the, the leadership acumen of his teammates to be elected a captain in his first year. Hasn't even played a game as a Titan yet, and uh, he's already a captain in the eyes of his teammates. Pretty impressive, but when you know the guy, not all that shocking. Yeah, I agree. Um, moving on here, we can move to the injury report to, for today, in which it was a little bigger than it was for the first day, but also still... Head fake. It was a head fake. Yes, and, but also still looking pretty good. Let's talk about the people who were limited at practice today. Uh, Trey Avery with a hamstring was limited both 
yesterday and today. Harold Landry dealing once again with that abdomen uh, injury limited on Wednesday and Thursday. Dylan Ravens with a knee continues to be limited. Um, those three guys, your thoughts on that? Only surprising one is, is well, I say not surprising. Only one that, that you should keep an eye on, rather, um, for this game is Harold Landry. Raiden's, we're not really expecting, you know, he's already ahead of our timeline, so yes. I think it'd be shocking if he was a full go for this game. Trey Avery, um, we knew he popped up with an injury uh, of, of, I think it was last week, I forget what day exactly, but recently he popped up with that hamstring, pretty standard uh, soft tissue injury that's limiting his, his availability, but wouldn't shock me if he's going to be available as a as a you know a body at least as a depth guy on Sunday. Harold Landry, you know, not expecting him on this list for an abdomen. You're expecting him on this list for a knee. Yes. His ACL, according to his coaches, again today at practice, they they think he is fully and for has maybe for a while now been beyond this this ACL injury. That's not holding him back at all. He just has a, a separate injury, an ab injury. I don't know if he's got a tummy ache or if he, he did too many crunches or whatever it is. Um, so that's that's one that is the biggest impact um, for the Titans in this game, whether or not he plays, and if so, how much. I don't think we were expecting a ton from him out of the gate anyways because of his knee, but that this may even further limit his snaps in, in New Orleans. We move on to the guys who have been full this entire time, both Wednesday and Thursday. Traylon Burks with that knee continues to be a full participant at practice, although we talked about don't be surprised if he, he still does not go. This He'll week. play. He'll play. Don't be surprised if he doesn't play a lot, I think, as well. I would be surprised, to be clear, if he's if he's not active. I would be yeah. I would be surprised by that, but I would not be surprised if he ends up with, like, 12 snaps. And then Arden Key with that calf is full on both Wednesday and Thursday, looking more and more like he is good to go. And then yep. Will Levis with a quad coming back from that, that preseason kind of uh, situation. He is a full participation, <laughs> which there. is a vague way of put it kind of situation, but that's about all we know yeah, about it. So all, like it, really it truly know. was a kind of situation, yeah. but he's then, fine now. And then finally, DeAndre Hopkins and Trayvon Wesco were limited today just for a rest. Day. I know they gave a lot of people a heart attack when they saw DeAndre Hopkins pop up on the injury report, but yeah, just a rest day for a veteran. They were limited in participation. So um, nothing really all that noteworthy besides Harold Landry being the biggest note on that Titans list. And they got really accustomed to playing without him and making do last year anyway. So if he can't play in this game, I think they're going to be all right. Yeah, we can talk a little bit about the New Orleans Saints on this side. Nothing too crazy on here. Just one guy I want to talk about. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Traquan Smith, one of their wide receivers, uh, did not practice on Wednesday and Thursday. Doesn't look like he maybe will be able to go, but we will see tomorrow. Uh, Kendra Miller, they're running back behind Jamal Williams for this game, did not practice Wednesday and Thursday. And this is the one, right? Because Jamal Williams, we know last year, had his best year as a as a NFL player, best career season. And he was a touchdown goblin in, in fantasy. Yes. 17 touchdowns, led the league comfortably. But he's really a between-the-tackles, bruising-back, goal-line-style runner. He's not really a between-the-20s runner. And if he's the... Only thing you got all day against the Titans defense that need I remind you their front last year pretty good at stopping the run maybe the best actually statistically the best I'd imagine since it's not changed it's only gotten better it's just going to be a lot of the same I, they I look I went and looked when I realized that, that it's just going to be him I went and looked at the, the line for rushing yards for the the Saints in this game and they've got it at like 49 and a half I think last I checked so 40 50 range. So Vegas doesn't like them to get more than 50 yards in this game. I don't like them to get more than 50 yards in this game. I think that it's going to have to be an aerial attack from Derek Carr because Kendra Miller was going to be your primary between the 20s runner, I think, and Jamal Williams is just going to have to do for them. Yeah, and then uh, we can move on, I guess, to just some other news and notes here. 
um, around yeah. the season, around the NFL right now. Starting with Brian Burns, who is kind of one of these defensive players who is kind of in a holdout of sorts. Except his is a little bit more serious as they go through contract talks. It may look like he's not going to go. And this is a random one to bring up, but I wanted to bring it up for one point and one point only. He did it in a weird way, and I love the way he did it. This new, it's not not a trend because he's the first one that I'm aware of that's done it, but I think it's going to become a trend of guys doing week one holdouts where you come to camp. You be, you know, I'm here. And I want to play for this team. I'm excited. And then week one, well, oh, I'm not going to practice anymore. I told y'all I need a new contract. We need, I haven't gotten a new contract. Let's get a new contract. That that puts the the team to the iron, man. That that it, really it is it is a gutsy way of doing things. It's a more difficult physically way of doing things because you have to be at training camp, obviously. And then yes. you, you it's a very expensive way of doing things because you're potentially missing out on game checks, which is much more expensive than missing out on checks from training camp. So the penalty is higher. But I think it forces your team's hand better, and I'll be surprised—not surprised, but interested—to see how this pans out for him and for Carolina. I have a feeling they're going to make it happen for him. You know, we saw last year this is a player that was apparently getting offers for a trade for multiple first firsts and multiple second round picks. I don't know if he'd go for that now, but um, one team in, in, in Titans fans don't like this. If the, if he is available for trade. One team that absolutely absolutely should be interested is the Jag- Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, right. adding him to their pass rush would make a big difference for their defense and would change the calculus, I think, for them and for this division. So um, I don't think that's going to happen. But if I was the Jaguars, I'd be willing to I'd be willing to cough up a pretty penny for a Brian Burns to add to my pretty weak defensive front. I would, and then we can move on here to Nick Bosa, a guy that got paid, a guy the guy who did get paid. And when I say paid. He I mean, signed, he got paid. He signed a five-year, $170 million contract extension. My one question is here is where did the 49ers just keep getting this money from? Well, <laughs> like, if I if I need to remind you, they uh, they don't have to pay a quarterback anything. That so, like, that's – I think people they forget. Get, they also did get um, Teron Armstead and George Kittle to cough back up some money and restructure their contract to right. get him Push the money down the road. But still – it, it all comes due eventually. So it does. Uh, but but these these 49ers for the foreseeable f- future are pushing for the uh, for the playoffs. And then finally, like we said, Travis Kelsey not going tonight for Thursday. Everyone football. knows this at this point. If you're under a rock, he's not playing tonight. So uh, adjust also, accordingly. As well with that, uh, Chris Jones also not playing still because. Um, like he said, as soon as I get paid, I will play. But they have not paid him yet. So. It looks like he's going to be watching the game from a suite in Arrowhead Stadium tonight. Yes. Um, and just watching them, I guess, hang the Super Bowl banner. And uh, that's, it. that's that's all he's going to be doing tonight. Uh, missing a heart and soul guy on the offense and the defense for your opener against a pretty good Lions team, by my estimation, makes for, I think, an interesting situation. You may see the Chiefs go 0-1 to start the season. We'll see in a matter of minutes at this point. But um, I think it's going to make for a really exciting game. All right, that is producer JT with the news. And now before we kick off the NFL season in just about 25 minutes in Arrowhead in Kansas City, we've got to get through our best bet gauntlet, JT. We did this all last year, had a remarkable winning record on a sample size of over 220 bets. We managed to go 59%, which ask any professional better. That's quit your job territory. We're not going to quit our job because, uh, you know, sometimes you're hot, sometimes you're cold. Maybe if we do it a couple years in a row, maybe then we'll just make this a gambling podcast and quit our jobs and become professional touts. But until then, we're going to continue to try to stay hot, continue to try to make money this season. 
If you are not familiar with the Best Bet Gauntlet, it is a competition between JT and I. We go back and forth each week drafting five teams each, five sides each. We're betting sides only, no totals, no parlays, no teasers, no round robins, no uh, uh, props. We're doing just sides in this competition until we get to the playoffs. Then we'll add in some, some more fun. But sides only to make it as hard as possible, to make it as relevant to the people as possible. So in, in total, we're picking 10 games back and forth and competing head-to-head each week, five games each by the end of the, the season, regular season, that is, whoever has the – or no, we did the full season, didn't we? No. Yes. For the competition? Yes. Okay, so just kidding. All season long, we are competing head-to-head in, in that, in, in that uh, best bet gauntlet. And some of the rules we need to establish for folks that want to bet along with us, because, again, we made a lot of money last year. You should join us. Join, join, the, uh, join the party. We post these bets – on a graphic on our social media accounts at Hot Read Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok on Sunday. So we don't lock these. We're locking them in, but not locking them in until Sunday. The only reason we're going to change what we say today and what we go with on Sunday is if a quarterback could get, you know, some massive injury news happens between now and then, and it changes the math in the game. So typically what we say on Thursday is what we're going with. We are this season adding in a new rule because line movement in finding the best of the line during the week is so important in in betting. We're going to be allowed, both of us as a show, to lock in lines from earlier in the week on Tuesday and Wednesday, not before the end of the week. So after Monday Night Football, that's when we can start looking at lines. And if we like a line, you'll have to follow us on social media to get in on on the action. We'll, We'll throw it out early if we think it's going to be a line that moves, for example, a line that I threw out this week, the Kansas city line, as soon as we heard about Travis Kelsey's injury, that line jumped from six and a half to five and a half. And I expected it to continue to go down. It did. We grabbed it at five and a half, locked it in on Tuesday, I believe. And the show now, whichever us decide, whichever of us decides to draft the chiefs is going to, or the chiefs or the lions is going to have that number available to them. So if you would join us in betting the best of the number, Follow us on social media at JT underscore Runke and at Easton Freeze to get those lines during the week. And then beyond that, I think that's pretty much it. Can't duplicate, obviously. We've got to have five different sides. On occasion, we'll go head-to-head in a game, and somebody will be wrong, and somebody will be right. But without further ado, JT, as the loser of last year's best bet gauntlet, I did, in fact, beat him. Um, You are afforded the first pick in the best bet gauntlet draft. What would you like to go with, sir? This one seems pretty easy to me. I'm going to take the best line I think out there right now, in my opinion. Okay. Um, taking the Tennessee Titans plus three. Fitting they, on a uh, Tennessee Titans show. As they as they go down to New Orleans. Look, Mike Vrabel is just insane against the spread. Um, 23-15-1 and one against the spread as an underdog, which is good for 61%. And then 22-9-1 and one against the spread as a dog of three or more, which is good for 71%. And then as well, 14-6-1 against the spread as a road dog of three or more, which is also 71% covering by almost five points a game. I Having think- a winning record as an underdog just outright is kind of funny in its in its own right. You know, like he just, when he's supposed to not win, he wins more than he loses. So like yeah. that's that's and pretty good for, for betting, I think. Taking him as a dog, not a, not a bad idea. And especially with this line basically being a pick just with, the, the plus three for the home field advantage really baked in here. This is really a pick and I'm thinking the Titans are going to win this game, so that's why I'm taking that line. Yeah, I agree. I do. I want to – super ner- betting nerd want to correct you one quick thing, and I you know this because we talked about this, but I hate on 
shows that talk about betting tangentially, how they talk about, well, three is the home field advantage, so really it's a pick them. It's not, actually. It used to be the case, and that's how books used to estimate it. And the home field advantage has kind of changed in the NFL. But in today's NFL, with our advanced metrics, home field on average is actually about 2.1 points. It varies like 0.3 points up or down, depending on your stadium. The Titans don't have quite the home field advantage the Chiefs or the, the Seahawks or the Packers do, um, but they've got a better home field advantage than the Chargers do, for example. So um, it's about 2.1, but you're right. It is essentially a pick em. It's less than a one-point game when you factor in that 2.1 uh, point home field advantage. My first pick, JT, and, and folks know we make money on this show by going with the ugly Ugly dogs. And we've got a couple ugly dogs in week one here. My first pick is going to be one of the ugly dogs, a team that most people are expecting to be one of, if not the worst team in the NFL this season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield. They are playing the Minnesota Vikings this week, and they are plus six. I'm taking Tampa Bay plus six. Some justification for you here, because I know this is a hold your nose moment. And it, it needs you need the numbers to feel good about this. The number is simply too high. So I don't think that Tampa Bay is a live dog here. I don't expect them to win this game. I do expect them to cover this game. And here's a couple of the reasons why. Brian Flores, the Vikings' new defensive coordinator, historically a heavy, heavy blitzer. That's actually not the way to get after Baker Mayfield. He is actually a better statistical quarterback when being blitzed, when more guys are sent after him than uh, when you're getting natural pressure. That's the way to kill Baker Mayfield is to cover and get after him with natural pressure, sending four guys, sending three guys. That's when he becomes the worst quarterback. He, so he's got a better touchdown to interception ratio when he's blitzed. Another reason, Tampa Bay, they still have a great wide receiver duo that as long as Baker can get it in their vicinity, I expect them to catch the ball. And I think that they'll be able to take advantage of a no, I would say a, I'd say the biggest weakness on this Vikings team, their secondary, that is the glaring hole. I think that there's going to be a mismatch all day long between the Bucks receiving room and the Minnesota secondary. If Baker Mayfield can just not throw the ball to the wrong team, then I think they're going to win in that element. And then Tampa Bay clearly still has the better defense than Minnesota. Their defense is still sneaky. Good. They've got sneaky, great players on that defense. I don't, I don't think that Minnesota is going to have a cakewalk offensively in that game, they'll be on the field more. And so maybe they will be more gassed by the end of the game, but the defense is simply better. By the way, speaking of Kirk as a everyone talks about uh, primetime Kirk, he's a disaster. Well, let me tell you another time is a disaster is when he's favored by four or more. When Kirk is a favorite of more than four points, he's 11, 18 and one all time, 38%. They're at home this week. You'd think that'd be a better split. It's a worse split. He's 31% at home as a favorite of more than four points. And uh, a general stat about week one, week one dogs of six or more points just in general cover historically at a 60% clip. So give me Tampa Bay plus six. Yeah, and I'm taking another ugly one as well here. I'm going to take Houston plus 10 <laughs> against the Ravens. Biggest and number of the week. It is Love the it. Biggest number I was going to take but, this if you didn't take it. But, but Love just, this bet. But just like you said, like historically dogs of eight or more, especially when you get to double digits, have an insane clip on this on this uh, on the on the week one here. Um, they did this last week as well, or last year right. on week one as yep. well as an eight point dog and took them to overtime. I think it's just because of how people understand this team from last year and not 
translating it to this season. Well, because they're not right here. There's there's no tank potential for this team this year. They are not, not. They are rebuilding. They've got their guy. They've got their coach. They they made two first round picks. They kind of sold out and went in on this year's draft. They they're trying to win now. They're in a re, rebuild, not a tank. Yeah, and I mean, even if you look at C.J. Stroud in his first game, well, rookie QBs to start Week One are 15 and 13 against the spread in the last 20 years. I'm kind of like, surprising, by the way. Surprising, yeah. yeah, but like it's it, it, a lot of growing pains for both these teams. I feel like getting Lamar back out there, getting him connected with his wide receivers, new wide receiver Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, who's on the injury game. report, by the way. I don't know if you saw this. He popped up on the injury report he today with an well. ankle. Um, Mark Andrews as well, maybe being injured. Just a lot of guys that new OC, new offense that Lamar's never run. Yes, exactly. So that's just why I am taking Houston to cover that giant. Yeah. He's not a live dog again, not a live dog, but but to lose by less than 10, I think that's absolutely in play. I love that bet. My next bet, I'm taking the Cleveland Browns in a divisional matchup, another ugly one. Cleveland plus two and a half against your Cincinnati Bengals. I think that they, these guys are a live dog here for a couple of reasons, but I do expect them to at least cover. JT, this is the third straight year where Joe Burrow has missed significant time and reps in the preseason. And for injuries, for COVID, he's just not had a complete offseason to gel with his team. And you could argue because of that, the Bengals have gone one and three in their first two games the past two seasons. Starting slow, you know who they've lost to in those in those in that four game stretch, the first two games of the last two seasons. They've lost three games in their first four, or in their first two, four total games. They lost to Mitch Trubisky, Andy Dalton, and Cooper Rush. So it doesn't take a juggernaut to beat this team early, as of late. And so you just you hope and pray it gets to three again, plus two and a half. I'm taking it at plus two and a half. I am spending a, a second mortgage on it if it gets to three or three and a half. Wouldn't shock me. I know that the the, the the Bengals are a very public side. I think the last I checked on the Action Network app, they are a 71% handle right now. So as the public walks right into this trap of picking Cincinnati in this game to, to win and cover, I think that number could go up to three and you slam that three, but I'll take them at two and a half. Give me Cleveland plus two and a half. Yeah, my next one I'm going to take here, I'm going to take the Giants plus three and a half on Sunday night football against the Dallas Cowboys. Another divisional game, by the way. Another and just in general, by the way, week one divisional dogs hit at a, at a north of 60 clip as well. So yes. whenever we mention a divisional dog in week one, it's it's usually money. It's usually dollar signs. And, and, and to this credit, Cowboys here, um, straight up in their last three uh, week one openers, or 0-3 under Mike McCarthy and one and two against the spread. They start slow. There's a lot of new pieces on this team. Mike McCarthy's calling plays now. It's not Kellen Moore. Um, I like Brian Dable in this squad here to make some noise and, and come out swinging. And definitely at plus three and a half, I think this game is closer than that. It ends in a field goal either way. I, that's why I like the Giants plus three and a half. I like it. Hey, you got 13 minutes to, to place my next bet because I'm going with the Motor City Kitties. Give me Detroit plus five and a half. This is one of those lines we locked up earlier in the week. Right now, the live line is at four. I'd still take it at four. I don't love it at four. Um, I'd take it down to three and a half. I think they're going to win, or I think they're going to cover at least a field goal. I think that they are a live dog in this game. Absolutely, the Lions can win this game. But at five and a half, I loved that number once we heard that. I loved it at six and a half, actually, um, if I could have gotten six and a half. But the Travis Kelsey news kept us from getting that. But give me Detroit plus five and a half. Um, it's really, we've mentioned all of it, right? No Travis Kelsey in this game. The only rely like what's is it going to be a massive Kadarius Tony night? Is he going to be healthy for more than three snaps? We'll have to see. Is it going to be a Noah Gray night, the tight end that's going to be replacing Kelsey? 
Is it going to be a Sky Moore? Like, it's a lot of unknown for this team. And yeah, they have the best quarterback we've ever seen play the game wearing their jersey. So maybe he just makes magic and still torches this team. Would it shock anybody? Not really. That being said, I'm, I, I am going to bet against him being able to be as incredible without his primary target getter and his BFF, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, that defense, this Lions team, that offense, they love to run the ball. They've got a great offensive line. The Chiefs team without Chris Jones on their defensive line, not a great defensive line. They're run on a bowl. I think that this may be a, a ground and pound fest for the the, the, the Lions, rather, and, and that's kind of all they need. So, yeah, give all day long, give me Detroit plus five and a half. The next one here, I'm going to take the Falcons playing the Carolina Panthers. Dirty they're Birds. Kind of, they're now, right now, minus three and a half. First favorite we've mentioned so far. First favorite we've mentioned, which is kind of a, a switch from last year. I remember I, I was taking a lot of a lot of Week one, you got to go dogs, though. Week one, you got to yeah, go dogs. So I've learned a little bit here. But listen, this Carolina Panthers team, especially with this rookie quarterback, the situation they have right now, Adam Thielen might not go. DJ Chark might not go. They're really only viable option might be Miles Sanders this week. And also that offensive line might just counteract how bad Atlanta's run defense has been in the past. I like Bijan Robinson to absolutely tear up this Carolina Panthers team, especially if Brian Burns is not there this week. Um, I think they win by a touchdown this week, especially in Bryce Young's first game. Um, a lot of things can go wrong for this team very quickly. Um, so that's why I'm taking Atlanta with minus three and a half. I like that bet. My fourth bet, I'm going with Pittsburgh plus two, another dog. Pittsburgh in week one is just always a, a tasty bet, I feel like. They tend to be a dog. They tend to be a lot more buttoned up early, have it together. That Mike Tomlin culture, it makes a lot of sense. They are playing the San Francisco 49ers. Um, they are at home, so they're a home dog in week one. Very nice cover rate. There's a lot to like about this game. Um, San Francisco getting Nick Bosa back puts a – a little bit of a wrench in the plan, but I think that Pittsburgh is a live dog to win this game outright. That's why I'm betting them at plus two. I think that Kenny Pickett is going to make a pretty significant leap from year one to year two. I think their offensive line has gotten better. Um, I think that their their passing game is going to be much improved. I think their defense is, is going to be another top 10 DVOA group and, and out of the gate uh, starts strong. I don't see any reason why they won't. I think the same, it's, it's really less my, my belief in Pittsburgh, although I do believe in Pittsburgh and more my Disbelief in San Francisco. I think Brock Purdy, defensive coordinators have had an entire summer planning on, you know, you think the defensive coordinator in Pittsburgh has not been spending the last five months planning every single day on how to ruin Brock Purdy's life as an, an inexperienced quarterback. I think that he has, and I think that he will. And I think that this first game won't go nearly as smoothly as many are expecting it to for the 49ers. So give me Pittsburgh plus two. My final pick here, I am taking the Green Bay Packers at plus one in what is almost basically a pick em game here. Man. So the Packers still own the city of Chicago, is what you're I, saying. They might, man. It's just this team obviously has its struggles, right? I think this is a, a line telling of we don't know what Jordan Love is. We don't like, know what this division is, to be fair. I think really this division is all a jumbled we also don't mess. don't know what Justin Fields is. Like, we still don't Neither know. Neither guy. No, you're totally right. Pass the ball. Well, if, if what we know about him is what he is, that's very concerning, right? We we think we don't know because we're expecting him to take a big leap. But if Justin Fields is just run, run, running back Justin Fields, then you got a problem on your hands if you're yeah. Chicago. Um, I still really like the Green Bay defense. I like the weapons they have. Obviously, if Christian Watson isn't out there, that's uh, puts a little hindrance in there. But it's going to be a close game, close enough that in this pick, I'm, I I'm, think leaning, play. I'm leaning the, the Packers. No, I like it. I like it. I think that's an outright pick. I think Green Bay winning that game is – 
is they're they're a live dog as well. I'd throw them in a, a underdog parlay. My final pick of this week's best bet gauntlet. This is the one I have the hardest time stomaching because I I believe it. The numbers are sound, but it, it's concerning to me. My my heart says no. My brain says yes. I'm taking the ponies. Give me Indianapolis plus five against Jacksonville. This is just a classic AFC South week one game, right? The, the team that's supposed to be the worst in the division somehow upsets the team that's supposed to be the division favorite, be the best team in the division. We see it practically every year. Not sure how it happens, but I think this is too big a number. I've been talking about how I have no faith in the spine of this Jacksonville defense. I think that their pass rush is weak. I think their secondary, especially up the middle, up that spine, the, 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 the linebackers and the safeties, really exploitable. And I think that this Colts team is going to be able to, if, if Anthony Richardson has any accuracy to him at all, exploit that more as a passer early on. Not He's not going to torch him, but I think he'll look better than people expect in that first game because that, that defense is exploitable. And I just don't think that the Jacksonville offense, as high-powered as it could possibly be, it is new. It's going to take some time to gel. It wouldn't shock me at all. And by the way, they can be run on. They were run on all last year, their defensive line. Their defensive line got worse. They're going to be able to be run on. If if anything else, Anthony Richardson's going to be able to run the ball against this team. So yeah, I I, I think the numbers are sound. The, the 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 pro it's a pros Joe's game. If you look at the betting handle, Indianapolis plus five. It's just too many points. So give me Indy plus five against Jacksonville. And that is it for our best bet gauntlet. So to recap, JT taking four underdogs and a favorite. Tennessee plus three, Houston plus ten, the Giants plus three and a half, Green Bay plus one, and your lone the lone favorite of the best bet gauntlet this week, Atlanta minus three and a half. I've got Tampa Bay plus six, Cleveland plus two and a half, Detroit plus five and a half, Pittsburgh plus two, and Indianapolis plus five. And that is the first installment of the Best Bet Gauntlet. I think both of you and I would be happy to go three and two, two and three, just survive week one, get I to would. week two. Really just would. no one and fours, no own fives, and I'll be happy. Week one is the hardest to bet. These lines are so sharp. That is our show today. We went long. We started late. It's about to be kickoff, but that's why we built in a cushion. We are six minutes clear of the start of the NFL season. So we won't keep you guys much longer. You can tune on over to uh, Amazon, right? We're still on Amazon for NBC. Thursday. NBC, NBC tonight. tonight. Okay, so they, they pick it up. So NBC tonight, Amazon will get Thursday nights going forward. But the Chiefs and the Lions kicking off here in about five minutes. That's going to be it from the Hot Read Podcast here live at Boomba's Pizza. Again, we are here live every Thursday night. Come see us. Come watch the show or just come after the show. Come hang and watch Thursday Night Football and all of these fantastic big screen televisions that we're about to enjoy this game on we'd love for you to come hang out we'll grab you a drink we'd love to talk ball with you until monday when we are recapping all things titans and saints in week one around the nfl and going through the most fun overreaction monday of the year i'm your host easton freeze for producer jt this has been the hot read podcast we'll talk to you next weekend enjoy the nfl being back